Satan, verses 10 to 14, and you can find it on page 1028 on some church Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This is God's word. It's good to be here uh, with you guys today, sharing from God's word. A few things before we make a start. Uh, firstly, hopefully you got given an outline on your way in. Uh, if you could keep that with you as we're going through today, that will help you follow uh, what we're talking about. So keep the outline with you and it would be helpful if you keep your Bible open as well. Uh, we want to learn from God's word. We want to hear God's word speak to us. So it's important to have it open as we're working through. I'm going to pray and then we're going to make a start. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you for today. We thank you that you've brought us here safely tonight. We ask that now as we come before your word, you would give us open hearts and open minds to what your word has to say to us. We ask that you'd help us to listen and apply it to our lives. And we ask that you'd give us the energy to focus and concentrate as we study your word now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Do you know why women are considered equal to men? Do you know why we value kids? Do you know why all humans have equal rights regardless of the colour of their skin? It's because of Christians. See, right from the beginning, Christians were countercultural. They were different to the way the world did things. So the world said women are not important, or at least less important than men. The world said, babies are no good, all they do is soil nappies, eat all your food and stop you from sleeping. The world said, some people are worse than others because of the colour of their skin. Yet Christians were different. Christians valued everyone within the church equally. And so eventually the world looked at that and saw how appealing that was and it seeped out into the world. The world started copying the way that Christians did things. And this was because the church was countercultural about the way it valued everyone. And I wonder whether, as Christians today, we're still as countercultural about this. I wonder whether we still value everyone within the church equally. Because Jesus, Jesus certainly thinks that we should. That's what today's passage is all about. And we see that straight away in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Some translations say don't look down on one of these little ones, which is quite helpful, but it means the same thing. It's thinking that, it's me thinking that I'm better than someone else, looking down on them, despising someone else within the church. 
we get the fact that it's within the church from that term, little ones. This is referring back to verse 6, where Jesus says that as Christians, we're meant to be like little ones, like kids. We're meant to depend on God. And so Jesus here is saying, don't look down on other Christians. Value all Christians equally. So is that what we're like as Christians? I think we like to think that we are. We like to think that we value everyone equally. But I wonder whether we're just now judging or looking down on other people in different ways. We might not even do it on purpose. Sometimes we just kind of do it subconsciously. So, for example, what's the first question we ask people when we first meet them? Usually, what do you do for a job? Or if they're a student, what are you studying? And what we're doing is we're collecting lots of information about people and we're making these lists in our head. Are they important? Do I need to value them? Or are they not important? So if someone answers that they're studying medicine, it's like, oh gee, that's good. And so they're way at the top of the list. If someone says engineering, it's like, yeah, that's, that's fairly good. You're, you're kind of up there. If someone says they're an arts student, oh, I'll leave it to you to figure out where they might go on the list. But we're judging people based on the information we collect. We do it in other ways, don't we? We look at what people are wearing and we judge whether they're dressed nicely or not and whether that means we should value them. We judge them whether they're single or married, whether they have kids or not. We're collecting all of this information and building lists in our head and then we decide based off those lists whether they're important or not. And in one sense, they're the easiest situations, the fairly normal people who just differ on little things. What about the bigger, harder situations? See, what would we do as a church if a homeless person walked in tonight? Would any of us go and talk to them? What if someone with Down syndrome came to church? Would any of us go and try and be friends with them? What if someone just kind of plain weird came in, they smelled funny, they looked funny, they acted funny? Would any of us talk to them? These are tough questions, it's challenging. And so Jesus' words here cut deep, they challenge, they cut right to our heart. They make us question, why shouldn't I despise, why shouldn't I look down on others? And to answer these kinds of questions, Jesus gives us three different reasons. Reason one is found in verse 10, the second half of verse 10. And it's quite weird. Have a look at verse 10 with me. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So number one, we're not to despise them, not to look down on them, because their angels always see God's face. That's nice and clear, isn't it? You couldn't have asked for an easier explanation. What's all this talk about angels? Well, there's actually lots of debate about what it means. Specifically speaking, no one actually knows what it means. Some people have said they think that it means each Christian has their own guardian angel and that that guardian angel is with God in heaven. That kind of sounds nice, but if that's the case, it's the only place in the Bible that this is mentioned. The Bible does talk about countries having their own angels, Daniel 10 and 12. It talks about churches having angels, Revelation 1.20 but it never talks about people having angels. So that seems unlikely. Other people think that it's talking about their spirits. That when they die, their spirit will go and will be with God in heaven. Again, that sounds nice, but there's an issue with this, because that implies future, doesn't it? 
when they die, their spirits will go and be with God. But the text here doesn't say, isn't future tense, is it? It's present tense. They're with God now. So that seems unlikely too. So it leads us to question, what does, it, what does this angel language mean? And I don't think we can figure out specifically what it means, but I think the point being made is clear. The point being made is that they're close to God. Whatever the angel language means, it means that these little ones, these Christians, are close to God, so close to God that they can see his face. And you have to be close to someone to see their face, don't you? Uh, people outside of this building can't see my face right now. They're not close enough. Some of you up the back may not even be able to see my face. You're not close enough. Uh, don't worry, you're not missing too much. Now, you need to be close to someone to see their face. And that's how close these people are to God. These little ones are so close that they see his face. They're intimately close. And so this reminds me, I used to be a school teacher, and this reminds me of a story from school. Uh, as happens often at school, kids bully other kids. It's an unfortunate reality of the way schools work. And there's this one time where there's this group of students who was bullying another kid. They were doing all the typical kind of bullying things, calling names, all that silly stuff. And eventually the teachers found out and so told the parents involved, the parents of the kids involved. And it turned out that this kid that was being bullied was the son of the principal of that school. Uh, Of all the people you want to bully at a school, the principal's son is the lowest, last person you want to bully. Uh, They found this out the hard way. Many detentions later, they realised you don't bully the person who's closest to the most powerful person at the school. And I think that's a little bit like what's going on here. When we despise and look down on other Christians, we're despising and looking down on people that are so close to the maker of the world that they can see his face. God values them. He's letting them be close to him. And if that's how close God's letting them be to him, then who are we to look down on them? Who are we to think we're better than them? Who am I to despise them? The next reason that we're given not to look down on others comes in the form of a parable, a story. Jesus paints a picture. He's got God as a shepherd and the people as sheep. Have a look at verse 12 with me. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off. It's a simple story, isn't it? There's a shepherd, he has a hundred sheep, one goes away, so he goes to find that one that's gone away. And it shows us just how much God cares for his sheep. The shepherd cares for his sheep. He values every single one of them. He doesn't let that one wander off and say, oh, well, I've got 99 other sheep. He doesn't say that was my worst sheep, I didn't need that sheep. No, he leaves all the other sheep behind and he goes to look for it. God cares so much about his sheep that he will go and look for them. And when he finds it, he rejoices. Have a look at verse 13. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. He celebrates when he finds it. As I said, I used to work as a school teacher and this here reminds me of excursions as a teacher. Excursions are amazing for students, but they are terrible for teachers. You're walking along wherever you are in the city or at the zoo or wherever your excursion's gone to and you've got this big group of students around you, every single one of them, determined to get lost and make your life difficult. 
And so this guy here bends down and does his shoelace up. This one goes and looks at the shop window and this one darts in front of cars and just kids all over the place. And so I'm constantly, as the teacher, looking around, trying to keep an eye on all these students. And in God's kindness, I never did lose any, but I think if I did lose one, I would have done what the shepherd did here. I would have left the 99 students to go and look for the one lost student. And if I found him, celebration time. No angry parents to pacify. I don't have to tell them that I lost their precious child. And this is what God's like. God cares deeply about every single one of his sheep. So much so that if he loses one, he'll go to find it. But then I thought about the excursions a bit more. What if that student that got lost was the worst student? What if it's that kid that sits up the back of the class all the time, chucking paper planes, never doing his homework, distracting other kids, calling out? If that kid got lost, I think I'd have left him. I'd have said, good, you're gone. But do you know what? That's exactly what the attitude of the world says, isn't it? The world says you put the effort in for the good ones, but you don't put effort in for the bad ones. If the good one gets lost, go and find it. If the bad student gets lost, just leave them. But not God. God cares about every single one of his sheep. Even the lowly ones, even the ones that we look down on, God values them, God cares for them. See how countercultural this is? It's the opposite to what the world says. The world says despise, yet God says love. And the third reason that we're given for why we're not to despise, not to look down on others, is given in verse 14. Here Jesus says we shouldn't despise because it could cause other Christians to perish, to be destroyed. In other words, it could cause them to stop being Christians. Verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. This is a big deal, isn't it? It's important. If our behaviour can cause someone to perish, to stop being a Christian, then this is a big deal. And thinking back to my uh, story about the excursions, this is why I don't leave students behind, isn't it? The news is filled with bad things happening. And if I don't go and find that lost student, then bad things might happen to them. They might get hit by a bus, they might get mugged, they might get abducted. There's all sorts of nasty things that could happen to them. And so that's what's going on here. There's big consequences for us looking down on us despising other Christians. And if we think about it, it's easy to see why, isn't it? Imagine if every time you came to church, no one talked to you. You sat in the corner, people wouldn't sit next to you, just ignored you. As they kind of walked past, they averted their eyes away from you, didn't make eye contact. If they somehow did get stuck talking to you, they were looking for the quickest way to end the conversation and get away. Imagine how unpleasant that would be. Imagine how bad that would be. And you wouldn't want to go to church then, would you? You'd feel sick in your stomach at the thought of having to go to that situation. And this is how Christians drift. This is how Christians get destroyed. Now, you may be thinking that would never happen in a church, but unfortunately it does. And I've been part of a church that this happened in. At one of my old churches, we used to have a homeless man that came along sometimes. 
was situated in the city, and so he used to come in. He was a heavy smoker, and so he smelled of smoke. He had old and dirty clothes. He used to eat all of the food after church, and he had a nasty habit of just calling out at inappropriate times in church. And so no one wanted to talk to him. And to our shame as a church, we didn't love him and care for him in the way that we should have. After the service, he'd be sitting there by himself. No one would talk to him. The odd person might say hi as they walked past, but he was generally just there by himself. Now, this wasn't a bad church. This was actually quite a good church that was actually quite good at welcoming people that loved Jesus. It was a good church. The issue was this man was different. And because this man was different, he wasn't welcomed. And so I think the scary thing from that is that it's not just bad churches that don't welcome people. It's not just bad Christians that don't love and welcome each other. It's all of us. We're all tempted to look down on others. We're tempted to treat people differently based on the information we collect about them. How terrible is that? If there's such big consequences, how could that possibly be our attitude? Again, we see how countercultural this is. My old church's attitude is exactly what the world says to do. This guy's homeless, he's unimportant, kind of obnoxious, so you just politely despise him, just ignore him. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, love him, care for him, welcome him. Because if we don't, it could cause him to perish. Imagine if we were a church that didn't despise. If we were a church that did welcome, that treated everyone the same. Imagine how good that would be. Imagine if St Stephen's was known in the community as a place where anyone was welcomed where everyone was treated equally. Imagine how good that would be. Imagine how countercultural that would be. How amazing that would be. So how do we do it? Now I think there's two things that we need to adjust. We need to adjust our mindset about ourselves and we need to adjust our mindset about others. Firstly, ourselves. I need to make sure, it sounds a bit funny, but for me to value others and treat others, I need to make sure I've got the correct mindset about myself. And that is, I need to continually remind myself what a sinner I am. I need to constantly keep remembering that I'm only saved by God's mercy. He didn't save me because I'm amazing. He didn't save me because I somehow deserved it. He only saved saved me through his mercy. So who am I then to think that I'm any better than anyone else? Who am I to think I'm any better than you are? How dare I look down on anyone else if we're both saved by God's mercy? I'm no better than anyone else. And when I remember this, it helps me to value other people in the same way that God does. So that's the first thing. I need to have a correct understanding or correct mindset about myself. And the second thing is I need to have a correct mindset about others. I need to see others in the light that God does. To see their value and worth. To see how close they are to God. To see that God values them. And to see that God doesn't want them to be destroyed. These lowly, weak, pathetic, unimportant people at church are the ones that God died for. God sent his valuable, loved son to die for those people we look down on. 
And if that's how much God values them, then how can I not value them the same? Who am I to despise what God loves? Do I think I know better than God does? Of course not. So if God values them, then how can I not value them too? And so by understanding these two things, it will help us to not look down on others, help us to not despise them. And so as we end, I want to leave you with two countercultural situations, two situations where Christians nailed it. The first is about one of my friends. Uh, this guy's a great guy, he's a lovely guy, but he's different. He's an unusual person. When you look at him, you can see that he's visibly different. Uh, he's kind of awkward, he acts a bit weird. And so because of this, society had shunned him. No one wanted anything to do with him. But he came along to a church and he was welcomed. He was loved by that church. They took him in and they cared for him. And so you could see over the years him coming out of his shell. You could see him growing. You could see him building in confidence and growing in his faith in God. That's been countercultural. That's been different to the world. It's treating everyone the same, regardless of what the world says about them. It's the kind of countercultural attitude that Jesus is calling for in Matthew 18. I wonder, if he came here, would we do the same? How many of us would go up and talk to him? Because that's what church is meant to be like, us caring for him, even if he's different. And imagine if in 10 years' time we had have cared for him, 10 years' time, he comes up to us. He's married, he's 10 years older, maybe he's got kids. Uh, maybe he's in some form of leadership position at church. He's grown in his faith over that 10 years. And he comes up to you and he says to you, thank you for caring for me. It helped me to become who I am today. How amazing would that be to hear those words from his mouth? But what if instead he came up to you and he said to you, you're the reason I don't go to church anymore. How devastating would it be to hear that, to know that our actions had stopped someone coming to church, had caused them to drift away, to be destroyed. We're not to despise anyone. That's who we're meant to be. Are we there yet? And the second example is a lady who works in full-time paid ministry. She works with people with Down syndrome. Now, these are some of the most marginalised, worthless people in our society. Our society thinks they're so worthless that people have questioned whether it's better to abort them, to kill them before they're born, than to let them live. That's how worthless they are to our society. But are they any less human? Does God care about them any less? Of course not. And so this lady loves them. She works with them full time. She helps build them up in their Christian faith. She's devoted her whole life to caring for this people group that the world says is worthless. That's being countercultural. That's doing things differently to the world. That's loving the lowly. Would we talk to someone with Down syndrome if they came in? Would we go up and try and be friends with them? Would we show them God's love? And imagine if we did, and the joy we'd get celebrating with them in heaven when all their pain and sickness and hurt has been healed. Imagine how great that would be. This is how we're meant to be. This is who we're meant to be. Are we there yet?
Are we like the world or are we like God? Let's pray. Dear merciful Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us to love everyone equally, that we'd value everyone equally, that we wouldn't look at some people and think they're more important than others, that we wouldn't look down on others, we wouldn't despise people. We ask that we'd show your love to them, that we'd as a church be a church that's known for being countercultural, a church that's known for loving people, that cares for everyone, regardless of what society says about them. And we ask that through that, you'd use our relationships and our care for others to build them up in their faith to you, that you'd use it to grow them stronger to you, so that together we can praise and worship you in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen.